Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? Tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. Well, I'm and Jacks. I'm Tamal. Matt Byrne on the board. S&P Futures. Hey, we're up 425. Nancy, if up 17 after one of the, well, probably the worst day of the year yesterday. Uh, and the worst day in a long time. Uh, very odd in the sense that Walmart... CEO came out and said the consumer is, is struggling, which is different than all the BS we've been hearing from everybody else and and uh, business and uh, TV and radio. Mm. Oh, God, a consumer's face just spending. He's great. Well, that's, that hasn't been true for three years. Anybody who looks at the stats and maybe even listens to the show knows that, uh, or at least has heard it. You know. And uh, the weird part was the market headed south and never came back, kept heading south, and Walmart came all the way back from being down six bucks and finished up. So maybe maybe he's rewarded for truth or something. I don't know. Is there, is there a reward for truth, Kevin? Can you just please tell me the truth. Yeah, there is a reward for truth. Um, you get banished to uh, God knows where. Oh, yeah, I don't... Actually, you get locked out of your Twitter account. Oh, yeah. it's uh, You're locked out of anything. But then again, as the, as the thing in the bus used to say, when the truth hurts, it should. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a favorite expression that uh, I, I'm sure my brother got from you, but I know he likes it a lot. <laughs> well, every every day when I got on the bus, the first thing I saw is I could they couldn't sell all the advertisements, so whatever it was, they always these these nifty little sayings like that from God knows where from uh, I don't know from some old guy with nifty little sayings, a book of them. They they dig into his book, whoever he was, wherever the book was. So what's going on in? Uh, Education world. The edu- we'll, we'll call it, we'll call it they. They say it. They say you it. No, yes. they say. Yeah. Or if you're really smooth, like the one guy that kind of got in the argument with Dr. J on the air. What the hell's his name? The the judge. Or I don't know what his name is. Everything is. Uh, nothing ever comes out of his mouth is him. So you can never. <clears throat> nothing aggravates him more than that. And well, you know, analysts say. Who the hell are analysts? What, yeah, what, what did experts ma- is my favorite. Yeah. Experts say. Yeah, experts say. What did. What did uh, Richard J. say? Where are all these alligators? Well, yeah, the, the allegations. Yeah, yeah, who are all these alligators? Yeah. I would, I would be inclined to go with, you know, who are all these experts? Uh, yeah. are they, what do we call them? Expectorators or yeah. something? Yeah, who are all these expectorators? We, yeah. all right, experts say. So, what do you think? <laughs> okay, <laughs> do I, do, am I an expert too, or what am I? I'm just, I'm just, just an opinion in go the wind. Go for it. You know, hey, I, yeah. you know, all, all you have to do. We, uh, in in the business world, um, there was a common definition for who an expert is because that's the consultants you hire. Oh yeah. And the definition of an expert is someone who comes from more than a hundred miles away. Oh god, we had uh, we had a bunch of guys from uh, 
Pullman from from time to time would hire some uh, uh, consultants. They always hired uh, was it Mc- McLennan, Marsh McLennan, or any one of them, or is it one of those guys, McKen- McKenzie, I think it was. And they uh, would McKenzie and Company, yeah. So they would always come in and uh, just as a, a, a tad bit of history, the uh, Pullman signed on for a couple of real real car contracts, um, kind of the old way, but they were all written kind of the new way. And they sort of, when I say that, uh, the old way was guys would say, well, we need a car pretty much like last time, so how about making one for us? Okay, so guys would pull out the drawings of the last one and make maybe do a little different and a few changes here and there, and off they'd go. It was a bunch of car makers to a bunch of car makers. But as time went by, that that morphed into uh, this approval, approval of this drawing, approval of that drawing, back and forth. This has to be how many... Uh, what kind of inspections here, what kind of inspections there, to the point where you didn't even know kind of where you were. And then all of a sudden, and the, the, the place had no, well, I'm not, I, sh- I was at least educated in how to do it, but I would never have been able to come across the, uh, so they ended up with the Amtrak car, which you see the double-decker car. I'll keep this story brief too later. Uh, those remember the El Capitan cars, which were, a lot smaller. They were like essentially the double decker for the uh, Santa Fe. So you could either take the Super Chief out to California, or you could take the El Capitan. Now the Super Chief was all Pullman, I think. And the El Capitan was almost like gallery cars. Now for those that don't know, a gallery car is not a full double decker. If you walk into like a uh, uni- uh, you know Burlington car here or any any of the any of the uh, commuter cars here in Chicago, they look like they're double-decker, but they're not. They're gallery cars. Because if you walk in, when you walk down the middle, your head would be hitting the, f- the ceiling if, if it was the ceiling came all the way across. The middle is open. But on each side, you can walk up, and there's seats up in, like, the gallery. That's the name, gallery cars. So anyway, they show up at Cell Capitan, but they wanted a double-decker. So they ended up having all these change orders as Pullman started ordering parts already. But Pullman had no idea how to price the change order in terms of lost time on the project because the project was massive, 280-some cars. So you're not building five cars where you've got, you know, five or six different, you know, uh, say programs going at the same time. You just move the guys to the other program and it wouldn't, it wouldn't bother you. So, yeah, the, the, the change might be, oh, no, we don't want those seats. We want these seats. And they're 50 bucks more a seat. Okay, how many seats? Sorry, that's 50 bucks plus overhead, blah, blah, blah. I could do that in my sleep in those days, but that that didn't get you anywhere because you had to take all the old seats out, put the new seats in, and it might have cost you three weeks of production. Well, now, by now you got a thousand people working there, and they had no idea how to how to price that, and so they ended up getting money, you know, buried money on this particular project. They lost two hundred and some million dollars on it, which in 1978 was like real dull, and uh, so they. They'd bring in consultants from time to time to say what was wrong with the program. And the weird part, Kevin, all they, all they would do is go around and interview people, like workers, that would, that would tell them essentially the secrets of the place. Then they would write the secrets up they heard from other people and charge a fortune for it. It was, yeah, and, it was and, beautiful. And they, and they wind up doing it because yeah. management would never go around and talk to people. Right. They would never, never figure out what was wrong. So on, a, on, a, on the MBTA car... This was so bizarre on Earth. Yeah, we, we had a schedule. Well, first of all, they, they, they decided, you know, the weird part is, like I was, like I was mentioning to uh, uh, Professor Hal yesterday, uh, 
every, everything that could possibly go wrong in the world, since railroads were really our first companies, or a lot to a huge extent, basically already went wrong with them. Any, any kind of crazy little thing you did, any kind of shenanigans, <coughs> were all done in railroads in the 1800s. All you have to do is read the history, you swear you're reading today's stuff. You know, guys today think they're so clever because they first, <clears throat> they thought of all this stuff. Well, they really didn't. So what happened with the MBTA car is uh, they said, okay, we already just built this car for Erie Lackawanna like 15 years ago. And uh, the only change really was, you know, more modern lights and so forth, but the only change really was in the meantime, Kevin, remember the, uh, the IC crash when, you, when we were real young? There was a, I don't. Well, there was a. It, it killed. God, sixty. You know what, Matt? Why don't you look that up? Uh, mm. uh, Illinois Central um, commuter car crash probably was nineteen sixty-eight or something. And uh, they had the the real old cars, then they had their new cars, the new gallery cars, which looked like double decker, but they were gallery cars. Well, somehow or another, the engineer in the old cars blasted into the back end of one of the new cars, and the new car just telescoped in. The old car being a lot heavier and also being on one level, just went in like a battering ram and killed God knows how many people. I mean, it was, it was really nasty. So the railroad people got together and said, what we need is these collision posts on the end of the car that would stop that from happening, that the car would not be able to telescope in. Uh, it would still be a nasty crash, but at least it wouldn't, it wouldn't be able to just go in like an accordion. So the change on the, on the Boston cars was you had to put these collision posts in that had a, you know, amazing amount of stress they could take. And you had to have a test, right? But the collision posts were so big that it actually changed the whole end of the car. And really 70-80% of the engineering is in the end of the car, because that's, <clears throat> that's where the cab is, where the guy drives it from. So the 10,000 engineering hours that they said would that they would be perfect for the new car ended up being like 60,000. <laughs> so Plus, all the, all the good engineers were working on Amtrak, so it was like Quadruples. So then to make matters worse, the governor of, of um, Massachusetts, since they hadn't had a new car in six, 60 years, Kevin, or some huge number, and you actually could see through the floor and the old ones and stuff. So the guy couldn't wait to get the cars out there saying, look what he was going to do for people. So he said, can you deliver me one car like eight weeks before it was designed, you know, in the contract? So my idiot bosses say yes. And I was really young, and I go, wait a minute, you can't do that. We don't. So it ended up, now it's one thing if you did it a week or two sooner, and you brought forth your supply system, supply chain, and you just, but it ended up being that it was so early that everybody in the supply chain had to like make a one-off sort of, you know, the, the lights had to be made by hand, because they, the, the assembly yeah, line thing, was. That doesn't cost much. Yeah, it doesn't cost much. So we ended up having to pay for all this. We get the car out there, and what do you suppose happens? Uh, it fell apart. No, the bleep hole loses the primary. Oh, great. So now we essentially had spent, I don't know how many million, on getting this car out there. And now we still were eight weeks away from the production line starting. So anyway, the the uh, production is, w- is way late. So they get the guys from uh, uh, McKenzie out there, and they run around and they interview Foreman. And what do you suppose the, the conclusion was? You got to hire. Have done it. You got to hire more foreman. And I was like, what? Are, what are you guys talking about? A- anyway, it was. It was. It was a to- they ended up losing. Oh, that, that, McKenzie's uh, morphed into uh, ruthless cost cutters, and 
uh, and and that's it's fine for what they do. I, I you know nowadays I I think McKinsey's research, their industry research, is fantastic, um, but um, their their approach to management and how they go about being management consultants is not in in, in my world. They come in, and the whole idea is to make everything. I mean, I, I get that you have to, you know, they're brought in because things have to change for whatever reason. Um, but they try to make it so uncomfortable for everybody there that you either change very quickly or you leave. And so they wind up coming in, and as part of their engagement, they cause a whole lot of turnover. And, you know, I, I, I don't, and, and, and it, it really amounts in many ways to treating people like crap. And I, it, it's not a, uh, it's not an approach to management that I can endorse. So I don't have a lot of respect for that, but I do have a lot of respect for their industry research. Well, they, when you when you're talking about manufacturing something, you know, assembling something, when people put a drawing together, the guys that I always had the amazing uh, jealousy for were the manufacturing engineers, where they would say, "Okay, here's the here's the drawing of the side of the car. Ah, oh, looks to me like you start right here and you take." This part and this part, and you bolt it together here. <laughs> and so they, everything has a, they call it an operational sheet. Uh, so if, the first thing you do, it's somebody's job to take two of these pieces, put them together. Then you put the next pieces down maybe in a, in a, a jig. If you don't remember what a jig is, it's a big thing where you put all the parts in, and then you weld them all together or, or bolt them all together. So there's a, there's every every time there's, there's an operation, there's a material pick sheet, there's a standard hour to the operation, and... and Basically, that's and that's how you start, and you just keep going until the car's done. And uh, it's it's a fascinating system. But one thing you learn early is is from the like the old the old car knockers is, Tom. Here's what you need: you need the screw, the screwdriver, and the guy to to turn the screwdriver all in the same space at the same time. If you got the guy and the screwdriver, and the screw doesn't show up, all you do is waste hours. If you got the screw and the screwdriver, and you don't have a guy to put it together, you're not getting anywhere. So it, it actually. Everything gets very, very simple, very fast, Kevin. And in a, in a minute, you, you, you forget that that there that, that simplicity is there. Then you just get screwy, I think. And I hope I, I assume you guys teach all that. Oh yeah, because I mean, yeah, we, we get into all of that, and uh, you know, and, and the, the whole how you know project management is a, is a big part of it as well. Um, and uh, so you know, every everybody knows that uh, you know before you before you lift a finger, you know, do you do you have all everything in order so that you can actually start working? Well, we had uh, one of the big bosses was telling the plant at PCW one where they're building the Boston cars, you're not working hard enough. And this is when the, ma- the material was not coming in, right? So uh, the guy says to me, "What do you think?" Because I'm the I'm the analyst. Because he's we're going to work Saturdays. And I said, well, geez, how many people you got coming in? He goes, like, 40. So I said, well, hold that thought. So I went out in the plan. I talked to the perch- or the, uh, the guy who picks all the the uh, p- material and delivers them to where the people are going to be. So, you know, essentially somebody picks all the the, uh, the screws and the, and the parts and puts them in one spot for somebody to work on. So I said to the guy, how many operations can you can you put together for Saturday? He says, we don't have this, we don't have that. I can maybe put together, you know, a hundred operations. And I go, okay. What's the standard? What's the standard time on those things? And one of the manufacturing engineer he goes, about a half hour a piece. I goes, okay. So that's fifty hours. <laughs> okay. 
So the dude's got, what I say, 40 people coming in. So 40 times 8 is what? 320? <laughs> so I go, okay, your efficiency, if, if everything gets done, is going to be 20%. What a waste of money. And the guy looks at me like, what are you, from Mars? I said, just do the math. <laughs> it, 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 like I say, Kevin, it flows very easily. The most you can do, since you have enough for 100, uh, whatever, 100 operations, and they're an hour, say an hour apiece, is, is 100 hours worth of standard hours. So if you have, you know, 100 hours worth of people here, you might have 100% if they just work real hard. Or if you have 200, you know, 200 hours here, you're going to do 50%, which ain't bad. I said, but if you have 800 hours here, you're screwed. <laughs> I say, man, <laughs> but a lot of this is, is really very, in the minute you start thinking things aren't simple, that's when you guys, when guys start to start, when you explain something to somebody from the top, I always don't trust the guy. You explain something to somebody from the, but that's why, I, the long way of talking about the, the person from Walmart's thoughts yesterday. If you look at this economy from the top down and the bloated numbers you got from the 30% increase in the money supply over the last three years, if you, if you look at the top down, everything looks really rosy. If you look at the bottom up and look at what the, how the average person or even below average person is dealing with this and where they are, you get a totally different story, I think. So that's, that's, that's the constant argument we have on the show versus shall we say the party line um was it would you was that how you would assess it or not well yeah i think you know i i think that's that's a pretty good assessment um you know it it really it, it almost anything is about simplicity that you know there there are there's lots of complexity in in the business world and the finance world and anything else but where where you're really right is it really you, it almost always boils down to some real simple concepts to things like basic math to uh, you know understanding the math it, it, you know more so than than doing it and so you know whatever whatever you're trying to attack here um, it, it you really need to boil it down to okay let's let's just let's make it work let's make it work as, as simply and as easily as possible. And I, I think we're saying the same thing there. Well, but it, it comes down to, I mean, we just, here's one of the headlines. Jeep Dodge maker Stellantis posts record annual profit announces $4.47 billion shareholder payout. Okay, and I've, I've got no problem with that. All right, I also know that one of the per- people on the show bought his daughter a Jeep during the COVID situation, and he paid sixty grand for it. I mean, I, and I'm trying to figure out what percentage of the population can afford sixty grand for a Jeep. I just, don't, I just don't know what the story is with the numbers. Well, I think these guys start, start by figuring out what pe- portion of the population can afford sixty grand for a home. Yeah, well, I mean, so I mean, I, I mean, it, but it, it comes down from like Friday night. My normal crew down here was all scattered, uh, three day weekend. So I stopped at a place that I really like to stop in. It's this little place on the north side. We'll go nameless, and uh, and I, I walk in and I have you know a couple glasses of wine and I notice that before COVID, they were seven dollars and now they're ten. And I see the wine they're pouring, and it's essentially a liter and a half thing of Chianti, which, you, which I like, by the way. Uh, and 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 uh, and I'm going to say that that thing costs them fifteen bucks, and they're probably going to get at a liter and a half. You're going to get seven, eight glasses. All right, so that's seventy bucks. Well, that's that's a big number, and uh, and now so. 
and I notice the place is not as crowded as maybe it used to be. There's still people in there, and the bar fills up because it's a very popular place, and there's a Blackwood uh, architects and lawyers. So I mean, it's not like people can't afford it. But I notice that the tables aren't quite as full. So I'm going to say from COVID and what would you say if if this dude came out and said my so basically that's 35 percent maybe more higher so i would i'm going to say that this month what if they come out and say they're 10 percent better than last year is that good or bad you can't well for them i suppose it's good but it's 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 not in you know the same thing we've discussed in the stores again it's do the math so what's your average ticket uh, and good, you can uh, you can you can measure by visits to the place. Uh, you know, certainly, you know how how many customers walk through the door every day. Um, that that would be a good indicator. Uh, what do they order? Are people coming in and ordering meals, or are people coming in and maybe ordering drinks and an appetizer, and, and they're on their way? And you start getting into that, and it's the same thing that we see with the retailers. You know, what are they coming in? What are they buying? Um, and uh, and how many people are coming in, and how frequently are they coming in? Those are all, but those are all the kinds of questions that uh, that don't get asked often enough. People just say, "Hey, we got a beat from Walmart," you know, and Walmart's sitting here saying, "This ain't good." Yeah, <laughs> this is this this is this we're we're not in a good place here. Um, so it you know, but but again, it's it's common sense stuff. It's it's. It's doing, it really is the math, exactly what you're laying out is you just do some basic math and you say, oh, you're not seeing as many customers as you used to. That's, you know, may, hey, maybe if you get to a new place and everything's fixed and you can, you can, you have a cost structure that works long term and, uh, and, and you can make do with fewer people who buy, uh, or spend more money. Okay, that's a fine business model for that place. Um, and, uh, but, is is that really sustainable, or is what's really going to happen is uh, next next quarter you're going to come out and report earnings, and you're not going to have that many people. You know, you're going to have that many fewer people. And now, what's going on? Um, and and I think that's the trends that we're seeing in the economy right now. Is uh, is people are are just they're they're tightening the belts. They're out of credit. Credit card debt is higher than it's been in like twenty years or yeah, more. Yeah. Um, so. You know, we 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 have people who you know are just tapped out, and you know the next thing is, what do you stop paying? Um, well, okay, I'm going to stop paying for uh, um, you know high end grocery items. Okay, those come off the list. I'm going to stop. You know, I can hold off on remodeling the home. Uh, I I don't I don't need to do that this year. Or the you know the the washer and dryer are old, but they still work. So um, you know I can I can do without an upgrade there, and that's next. Uh, but then you know I don't have to maintain the car, and maybe I won't change the oil as much. But that eventually, if that trend continues, now what are you saying? Well, uh, I'm a little late on the car payment. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, um, you know because you, you you stop maintaining it before you stop paying for it. So now you start saying, I'm a little late on the car payment. And next thing you know, you've got the, the repo people showing up. And, it, you know, this, it's, this is just a step-by-step thing. And that's why I am so, you know, so bearish on things, because I don't like the trends that we're no. seeing now. I don't like where they can go. 
and maybe this will all turn around. Maybe all the rosy predictions that we have, you know, this will all pick up in the second half of the year. And hey, maybe that's all true. I don't see it though. Yeah, the, the people have. But then again, your your buddy Tom Selleck and uh, Blue Bloods regarding the car. He said you can choose between the car and the and the apartment. Take the car because you can live in your car. You can't drive the apartment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but on top of that, you miss one payment on your credit card, and where do you go? Thirty some percent. I mean, we. It, it, I'm sure the numbers get really big. I'll tell you what. If 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 we and I, and I, I have my credit card company is you know I, I get an email like every two weeks with this new offer. Hey, you can get another card from us. Yeah. <laughs> there. I don't want another I card from you. I am fine. I have I have what I need. I have, I can rent a car. You know, if we if we had don't need any other credit. And you, you know I'm not I'm not big on government regulation, but if we wanted to change some stuff in this country, and we have problems with people, you know, not having health insurance, and all of a sudden getting a health bill and goes on their credit card, I would I would absolutely have some kind of a usury law that 15 percent is the highest you can go. And if somebody, I, c- I actually don't have a problem with that in in this regard, um, especially as it relates to banks. Maybe if you're a, an unregulated independent credit card issuer, but even then. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of regulation, but banks are subsidized. Well, they're not only banks, subsidized; banks they have subsidies. Sub- they get FDIC insurance. They, you know, they get all kinds of other breaks uh, from uh, from the government. So, you know what? You want to do business? You want to be subsidized? Cool. Then you're going to have to accept whatever rules well, are imposed on you for those subsidies. We have to and if that means we're going to set a usury rate on your credit cards. Um, you know, don't go screaming to me about free market. Uh, by the way, is uh, free market, man. I should ask you this: Does, does Michigan have a usury rate? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I think Illinois does or did, and our Supreme Court, uh, who I absolutely don't trust at all, especially since they're the ones that gave baseball their antitrust exemption uh, way back in the day. You know, Illinois has a usury rate. The Supreme Court ruled that if you send the bill from Montana, that the Illinois usury rate does not apply, even if people are in Illinois. I tell you what, that sucks to, to, to the world to me. Anyway, SP Futures up 10, NASDAQ Futures up 46. Going to make some kind of a stab at coming back after yesterday's horrible day. We're back about one, one eighth, uh, but it's a start. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. 
Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Right now, right now, right now. Hello, and we're back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howie. He's Matt Byrne. SP Futures up 12.50 now. We're creeping. NASDAQ Futures up 59. We've got uh, Dow Futures up 60. Individual stacks. Uh, not much of anything. And Microsoft up a buck 26. It was down a bunch yesterday. All these things were down. We got United Health up 314. Uh, Walmart down another down 43 cents, so it's pretty much right where it was when the whole thing started yesterday, which is sort of interesting. But um, that's <laughs> that's the way it goes. Over in Europe, we've got DAX down 51.3 percent, uh, FTSE down 72. That's a net 0.9 percent. CAC round down 39.5. Over in Asia, uh, Nikkei down 368. That's 1.3 percent. Hang Seng down 105.5 percent. Shanghai down 15.5 percent. This is a review of yesterday's horrendous day. Dow barely didn't make it down 700, down 697. S&P down 81. That's 2%. That's an ouch. NASDAQ down 294. That's 2.5%. That's a, like I said, that's a, a very big day. Uh, neither direction and seemingly worse to the downside. Uh, 10-year down 3 basis points to 3.92. We've got the, again, it was pushing toward 4% yesterday. The bond mi- minus 3 basis points, but still... Over 2.5, 2.51. Uh, Japan, right at the same spot, right at the top of their uh, operating range at 0.5, actually 0.51 if you round it up. We've got oil is uh, down 41 cents, 75.95. Brent down 51 cents, 82.54. <clears throat> natural gas down 6 cents, 201. 201. A natural gas is you get your bill and they're outraged. Uh, no connection between what they're, what they're paying <clears throat> and your bill, unfortunately. Gold up 9.10, 18.51. Silver up 7 cents, 21.96. Copper down 3 cents, 4.19. We've got Bitcoin 
uh, down 281, 24,211, but still pretty high <coughs> compared to recent numbers. And we have the U.S. dollar pretty much unchanged. Matter of fact, it is unchanged versus the British pound, 121, and it's virtually unchanged against the euro, uh, 1.064. Matt, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports, and we got some weather coming. We got a lot of weather coming. Oh, definitely, yeah. Well, good morning. Currently 6.38 a.m. on February 22nd, 2023. Yeah, weather in Chicago currently, it is cloudy skies right now, currently 35 degrees this morning. But a mix of rain and snow will start around 8 a.m. this morning and will continue throughout the day with a high of winds up to 18 miles per hour. A tomorrow, cloudy skies, which will continue until Friday, and sunny skies this weekend. Right now in Phoenix, mostly cloudy skies, 56 degrees currently, a high of 58 and a low of 41. Yesterday in the NHL, Blackhawks won against Golden Knights 3-2. Blackhawks back again tonight to take on Dallas Stars. Game starts at 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. And last night in college basketball, Michigan State beats out Indiana 80-65. So for now, Chief, back to you. Uh, boy, this Big Ten schedule is pretty interesting, isn't it, uh, Kevin? <clears throat> are these teams all just even or are they all lousy? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Uh, I, I have seen a little bit of Big Ten basketball this year. I think they're actually pretty good. I do, too. I think it's uh, more parity than mediocrity, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's the, you know, like the great, you know, team for the ages out there, but, um, but there's a lot of really good teams. And I think you're starting to see that, um, that shake out in college basketball anyway, because now, you know, uh, some, of, uh, some of those, you know, really top players are going to the G League. Now that you have the option for them to be professionals in the U.S., um, you know, you're starting to see a little bit of not not all. You know, you still see some of those really highly regarded players um, who are going over to or who are going to a, a college program. But I also am seeing uh, just a little bit more where um, where you have people going uh, uh, professional, and that's good. It's I, I think it's good for uh, in general because you don't have as many people in college who don't belong in college. But by the same token, um, it does dilute the talent base a little bit and make for a little more parity. And I think that should make for a good tournament this year. Well, um, just real quick as we, as we left the subject, mm. um, of course, usury laws in Illinois are, you know, it's illegal for, for me to charge you more than 9%. <clears throat> Yet if you're a big shot, you can be up to 20%, a bank or somebody. Now, well, gee, who do you think was involved in that law? Well, and, and, and I, I got a text from uh, one of our listeners uh, over this way, Joe, and Joe mentioned that, um, it, you know, when he was in the finance business 25 years ago, there wasn't one in Illinois um, that, that he recalls. But in Indiana, it's 36%. Well, that's a number. Um, and then it slides down at certain intervals so that there's, you know, there's, there's some uh, different options. But, uh, you know, my, my, gut, my gut feeling on that is, if it's 36%, why bother? <laughs> well, here, get a little of this. A person may be prosecuted for criminal usury if he or she offers a loan to someone with an interest rate higher than 20% a year. It's a Class 4 felony. I think banks do that all the time, don't they? Mm, I don't know. Where did we go on mortgages back in the... Uh, well, back in the, in the, in the uh, we never got more than... Uh, uh, I think... Yeah, we probably got 12? about 18, huh? No, uh, I was going to say 14. Because the 10 and 30 year rate never got that high. Um, I'm going to say we paid 
we were paying 14 on a bridge loan, but that was short. That was a short-term thing back in God knows when it was. So, Matt, just so everybody knows that there was such a crash, what happened? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, and this is according to Wikipedia with uh, various sources, including one from uh, CBS News here. Uh, that commuter crash that you were talking about earlier uh, occurred October 30th, 1972. Uh, involved two trains, uh, and unfortunately 45 deaths and 332 injured. Uh, right here is a uh, entire list of all the people who, who uh, 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 perished in that accident from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, and just last year, just last October, they uh, marked 50 years since the event. Um, yeah, everything you said. <laughs> was it was it head on? Were both trains moving, or was one of them? No, uh, it appears uh, it was a rear end. Rear end. One was rear ended. One telescoped into the other one. Yeah, just took the whole the whole the car without the collision post like totally in half. So, listener ch- uh, chief wow. is uh, is right as as usual. <laughs> well, Kevin, I would never say as usual. No, I wouldn't say as usual there either. But uh, I'll tell you what, Kevin, one of the most amazing things though, you had actually test this collision post. So the thing was, I'm going to say three-quarter inch of some kind of high-stress steel, maybe eight feet long, ten feet long. The whole, the whole, from all the way to the end wall went up to the roof of the car, so maybe it was 11 feet. And uh, and there was two big U-channels, and then they put them together, and somebody welded the U-channels together, so you had this huge rectangular thing, maybe eight inches by five or something. So <clears throat> that would end one on each side of the door, hence the name collision post. So you put it; they put it in this fixture. It had this hydraulic jack, and it had to it had to take a stress of about I don't know how much up, maybe four feet at a certain degree angle. <clears throat> so they put this huge hydraulic jack on the thing, and they start pumping away. You know, give us this much pressure, give us this much pressure. Of course, engineers being the way they are, they had to test it way past the test, right? And they weren't going to break it. <laughs> But everybody was pretty much standing back. This thing was the most solid. Fire and all. Well, this this must have been the most solid piece of thing you've ever you've ever seen. All of a sudden, it starts starts deflecting, which is the 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 accurate term for bending, right? It's bending a little, bending a little more. All right, up it, up it. All of a sudden, the thing the thing looks like a damn near a horseshoe, Kevin, and it still didn't break. They were like double the test. Finally, somebody goes, "All right, that that's good enough." I'm thinking. This thing splits. I can't imagine the noise. Yet they, they let it off and went right back into <clears throat> the regular shape. And I'm going, wow. <laughs> it was one of the neatest things I've ever seen. And, it was, well, uh, and, the, and the whole idea behind that, behind you know, amping up the test, is uh, you, you, want, you want it to perform to how many nines past the decimal point. Um, yeah. And, and so they, they want to stress it so that, uh, you know, that near as near as possible to 100% of the time, no matter what you do to it, it's going to perform as specified. Well, but the other, so instead of the car telescoping in and like ripping people apart, which is not what you really want to have happen, but if this thing actually did work, everybody in the car would be impaled on the one wall, right? Because <laughs> there'd be no deflection at all. Much better, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it would be, it would be neater at least, but like everybody knows your, your automobile now. If you get hit in the front end, the whole thing is designed to collapse, right? Sure. Yeah, oh. yeah, well, yeah because that'll absorb some of the blow rather yeah. than having you absorb some of the blow. Well, this was exactly the opposite, <laughs> shall we say. So what's going on in the education world? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Well, I mean, I, uh, I, the, I'm going back to what Russell was talking about last week and his guest, the uh, was name, um, Scranton, right, was her name? Um 
talking about the the MBA program there, he has a couple programs sort of like you guys do, where you can take five classes and get a certificate for hospital work instead of having to take it all 20. I, I think this little chunk education is such a terrific idea, Kevin. I can't, can't say enough about it, to be honest with you. Well, yeah, you're, you're talking essentially um, about micro-credentials. Yeah. Um, and uh, and, and I, I think they're a really, really good idea because you can do a couple of things. You can certainly get those same credentials as part of a degree program. But if you either don't have time or inclination for the degree, you can still get the credential. Well, an um, MBA program... And I think those have a lot of value. Is uh, and, and you can take that down to the level of um, in, you know, industry type of certification. So if you wanted to come in, uh, in fact, a good example, we have a local company that asked that we develop a, uh, a quality management training. Now, we have, we have a course. Um, we, actually, there's a few courses at Ivy Tech you can take depending on whether you want to be in the um, manufacturing technologies track or you want to be in the supply chain track. But we have courses that have embedded in them the ability to earn a quality management belt. And the, the belt is, you know, what the credentials are in that world. Um, but uh, I have a company that said, look, we want to send over our employees one day a week for eight weeks. And uh, they'll come over in the afternoon. We'll pay them. They'll stay on the clock for us. And we want you to tr- give them quality management training. It's not the whole certification. It's not the whole supply chain management certification. It's just a focus on quality management. But I am still putting in the belt for them. It's, this is a yellow belt, which is a low-level uh, credential. Um, so I'm keeping that as part of the curriculum, and then we're developing some stuff that's really specific to this company. And, that, and the way we're going to do it is they have to come in with a project. So, you, you know, uh, if, if I have a dozen people, I might have three projects. I might, you know, I could have 12 if they want to do it that way. Uh, I, I'm indifferent to that. But everybody's got to come in with some kind of a quality-related issue in their production process today. And we are going to attack it. So, you know, I'll present concepts. I'll teach them how to do the relevant math. We'll teach them, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, you know how to go about attacking it, how to do tests, how to do hypothesis testing, all everything that you have to do through that program. But then the last hour of every class is going to be okay. Let's go work on your project as a team, and so I'll monitor that process as well. And so, you know, th- this is uh, they're, they're going to walk out of it with a, a nice line item on the resume, um, not just saying that Ivy Tech did this training for me, but actually I have an industry-recognized certification from the Six Sigma Global, Global Institute. Um, and a lot of our courses are that way, where we have embedded in them industry-related certifications. So you go through, you get our certificate, that's nice. Everybody's going to say, that's pretty sweet. But you're also going to put four or five line items on your resume that say, I have a logistics certification from MSSC. I have a transportation certification. I have a uh, purchasing certification and so on. These are all things where you have to pass the exam, but we, you know, we give them the material that they need and the access to the exams as well. Well, it's interesting, Kevin, when you, when you, uh, I mean, obviously, you and I talk about this both on the show, and once in a while we BS about it just between the two of us. And uh, on every, well, not every Sunday, but just about every Sunday, I go over to my, my bro has family dinner, and everybody shows up, and it's a nice thing, and sort of like my grandmother used to do decades ago. And uh, But my nephew is in is uh, moving his way up in essentially the, well, he's been doing this for a long time. He knows how to 
uh, program that those machines that now it's all controls, right? It's not the machine. Yeah, CNC. Yeah, and he uh, is really good at it. And uh, well, now he's moving on up since the, the guy who runs the place has got brain cancer, unfortunately. Uh, so he's actually going out on the job and, and, and specking out jobs and estimating them and so forth. And a lot of it's repair work for places like, uh, you know, it could be like Tootsie Roll or somebody that has machines that are ever many years old and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you need something. And uh, so they, they're trying to, they just bought a new machine at the uh, machinery show. They're all giddy about and people are coming this week to. But the weird part of it is, Kevin, is, is uh, my nephew, he's not a kid anymore, he's 40 plus, and he, uh, He's, you know, the, the whole concept of, for these people, when I say these people in these industries, they're getting this chunk of business coming back, well, maybe because of the China thing, maybe to, you know, the COVID thing, who knows. But all of a sudden now they're, they're all busy, and they don't have any people, or they don't have enough people, and nobody has people who maintain machines, probably even at the bigger places. Those people are retiring, maybe even at the Tootsie Rolls and the other places like that. And the weird part of it is... is even the way he talks, he he, do, he doesn't quite get what I'm what I'm driving at when I ask ask him these questions. But you're talking about an industry that in, in the Chicago area, I, mean, I can name names from the past that used to supply Pullman that are long gone because you don't have a Pullman, you don't have a ream, you don't have uh, you have a little bit of uh, of uh, electromotive. But there were there were literally dozens of places that would would do parts and do you know. All of a sudden, Pullman says, well, we don't really want to make this part. There are five guys bidding for the job. Okay, we'll make that part for you. you know, it could be a part for the side or the end wall, whatever it was. Well, for a period of probably 40 years, every year that's gone down. I mean, you can take the, the orange line and see all these factories that are just ghosts. And so now all of a sudden, business is picking up. Nobody's got enough people. They don't have enough machines. And nobody has the training. So... It's been pretty good now for a few years and was so busy that everybody was a six-month wait. Well, now it's coming back a little bit, but it's down to regular lead time, so it's not bad. Everybody's still full. Now the question is, I was telling my nephew, you need to go to one of these places and get some certification in estimating or something. It's not going to be a five-year commitment like law school or MBA at night uh, or something like that to where you can at least move along, and if the business stays okay... You can keep progressing without saying for the rest of your life you're going to be in this machinery stuff because in Chicago, everybody thinks it's going to go back to being a crap business where every year you get less and less clients. So, there's, I mean, you're not going to believe Trump or Biden or any of these people that say all this stuff is back because your whole, your whole mentality is every year I, I got less and less people that I, that I supply. So that's turned around some, but now the question is, would you have your, your, your son go into being a – machinery maintenance guy that pays a nice living and you know once you to learn how to do it you, you probably even enjoy it but i don't know that that's a that's what i want i mean one of the kids we play softball with uh well, he was really young and he used to run the bases for the old guys now he's actually a pretty good player and he's going to school to be a diesel mechanic and my brother says jesus christ <laughs> the, whole, the whole country's trying to say in 10 years there's not going to be any diesels what what are we doing? Well, we all know well, that. that that's not true. First of all, that's yeah. not true. I understand that, but is uh, is that is that is that? <laughs> second of all, um, there's still going to be all kinds of equipment that runs on that. I, I get it. I get other it. than other than vehicles. But I'm saying, would it's not what you would call it? It, it you know, to some people's view, it's not a growth industry. Yeah, it's 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 the machinery business in Chicago 40 years ago. Yeah, but let me let me let me run something by you. Um, 
computer programming. When's the last time you heard of somebody developing software in COBOL? Uh, actually, uh, a couple of weeks ago, who was on the show? Is it Russell saying somebody was doing something in COBOL? Hmm. Yeah, well, nobody's really coding in COBOL, Not but coding, there but are somebody... a lot of legacy systems out there, yeah. and they're going to be for a while, because everybody else is coding in, in newer, in newer higher-level programming languages, and... Cobol programmers are making a fortune just keeping the old stuff afloat. Okay, well that that part I get. I mean, uh, but what I'm saying is, if would you? Uh, well, I actually know when I went to Allied Van Lines, my first job downstairs, they had the what was the machinery where you actually had the the tape to tape reels? What kind of computers were you, that? Was your software was stored in tape to tape reels? Way back in the day, Kevin. I remember. <laughs> I, I, IBM used to send people to Allied to train on the Allied system. It was like the only one left. Well, not well, the only the, one. The, what, what was going on with those systems is storage was expensive, um, and, and it wasn't plentiful. So you could you could buy a disk drive for ten thousand dollars, and it it stood like a um, you know about the size of a a too high filing cabinet. Yeah, um, and it stored you know gasp a whole ten megabits <laughs> or megabytes. Yeah, um, so. And now, you know, you plug in a, a gig or more in a, on a thumb drive into your USB uh, slot. So, uh, you know, a lot has changed in terms of storage becoming plentiful and cheap, but in those days it wasn't. So if you wanted to run a, a billing job against your master file or something like that, you couldn't afford the, the disk space to just keep it online the whole time. So what you would do is um, you, you would... Everything would be stored on tape, and you and, and you and you would take the tape, load it to disk, run the job, process the job uh, against the um, the file on disk for performance purposes, and then unload it so that you were making room for the next job that had to run. Well, I mean, I I think that all these things, Kevin, and, are, are and that was the days. That was the days of tape, as I remember them. I know there are people around who could probably tell you about the days of using tape. As a primary yeah. means of uh, of storage, you know, without without thinking twice about it. Well, I mean, I'll ask ask you, and I'll ask young Matt. We'll put him to work here. What would you say to a firm like that that all of a sudden has all this uh, business, and a lot of it is repair stuff for places that are now are not, they're now actually producing when they really weren't. So all their machines that are older, or, or, or you know, there's there's going to be I won't say. Uh, they're not falling apart, but there need, there always needs to be maintenance. If you're in that business and you're doing one-offs, make me this part. You know, I need it today to get. You know, your guys, your blacksmith guys, do it. I mean, are, would you, given the banking situation now, if if you had a nice living, would you say I need to buy the place next door and expand? Oh, by the way, I'm going to go to the bank, and then you're going to have Dodd Frank slap you upside the head and say you got to put your house on the line for this mortgage for this loan even though you've never missed a payment to us ever and you got to go through all this crap and your wife says wait a minute you just put the house down for this or something like that not that the wife is a bad person but anybody would say do you, do you just no she's the same one it's the same one yeah the same, equation, one, yeah, the same yeah. one in that equation and so i mean i think it's ex- on the one hand we're we're expecting people to do this on the other hand we're making it very difficult for them to do it and oh by the way we're giving them no thought that maybe there actually is a future that 10 years from now you're going to need both of these buildings I think it's. I'm. I'm happy they don't call me as a consultant to help them make this decision, Kevin. I can still do the math. I think I can still add with my little calculator. I think I could do all the math for them. 
I don't know if I could come up with a recommendation because I don't know oh. the future of this, and I don't. I'm, I won't trust our government for but, a second. But we know of what, what do we know happens when you have uh, disrupted supply networks? All kinds of bad stuff. All kinds of bad stuff. Did we see the one and only supply network disruptions um, in, uh, over the last few years, and it's and it's all going to work itself out and never come back? Uh, no, no. Because what you know, what are we looking at just in terms of geopolitics? You know, what's what's disrupted now just from Russia, Ukraine, and what's going to happen when China decides to go into um, uh, uh, Taiwan? What are we going to do there? And and are we really? You know, we don't want to. We don't want to get in a shooting war with them. We really don't want to be in a shooting war with the Russians. So we're just doing it as a proxy war instead. Um, we'll we'll supply the the, um, the the ammo, but uh, but you do the fighting. And um, so so that's where we are now. But uh, but are we going to wage an economic war against China? Are we going to start saying you know we're not we're just not importing anything? So we're either going to move all of our uh, all of our production to uh, you know, Vietnam, Malaysia, you know, other places in the Far East. Are we going to bring it home inside the USMCA to Mexico? Or are we just going to start going with, uh, you know, a lot of automation investment? Well, if you want to fight a war that way, can you do it with a tax policy? Can we even afford to do it with a tax policy, considering how irresponsible we have been managing the federal budget? But could you do it with a tax policy that incentivizes bringing stuff home and investing very much in automation, where the uh, marginal cost of making anything is near zero, but it takes a long time to recover the um, uh, recover the investment, and so you put it on an accelerated uh, um, you know what, Kevin, schedule gonna... for tax purposes, and uh, and make it very very uh, um, let's know, uh... very uh, attractive to do it. I mean, this is a whole you know when when you start talking about it. Um, it, you know, this solves your supply chain disruptions, doesn't it? Having domestic production. Well, um, yeah, but there's or, all kinds or of... Or having production that even within the boundaries of the U.S. I'm, I'm going to say that uh, on Friday, I want to I want to have a reasonable debate. But I want to do a little research first. I think the idea of we, the only way we can do it with automation, I think that uh, in some industries that's total BS, Kevin, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I, I agree where you're coming from. But the idea, I think when you look, we talked, we got to go here, but the, the cost of the automobiles, the Jeep, the 60000 bucks. I think they're writing a check to uh, num, Numskull over at Tesla. They're writing a check to everybody. There's all kinds of stuff going to the government. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that the labor cost in that $60,000 car is two grand. And the idea that labor is the problem... We're so far beyond that. It's uh, not, it's not, I'm not saying labor is the problem. I'm saying, though, that right now, when you are sourcing things, and Tesla is just is sourcing things overseas as much as anybody else, if not more so. Oh, yeah. When you're sourcing the, uh, the overseas labor that's really cheap, if you're going to bring it back to the U.S., you're not going to easily convince people to replace it with more ex- much more expensive labor. So you're going to have to find other alternatives I, to cheap labor, and that. That, that's going to walk you into on the, the economic level and the cheap stuff for sure pots and pans and everything I'm, I'm with you and by the way and, and if you're doing any kind of blue jeans or anything but just in, and for big items I I think we're charging so much more I, I think they, they could they could pay the guy nothing at, at Jeep and, and the car costs the same amount 
would we well, probably that would. Yeah. But they're already paying nothing other than the shipping costs. So, yeah. you know, so and 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 I don't think, you know, you you have to account for everything more than the actual parts content and labor content. I mean, there, there's still, you know, space, forklifts, truck drivers, insurance. Yeah. I mean, we could just start rattling off all of those other overheads Ex- that exec- are in there as executives well. Executives whose job and, is and somehow you have to cover that. But, you know, where I'm going is that there are alternatives, but right now we have never had the patience with the investment dollars to recover the alternatives over longer than an 18-month period. Sounds like fodder for Friday. And we might even get Mr. Mike Murphy in on Friday to argue with us on this. He likes to argue. That's the future. Yeah, he, he's, he, he's just an ornery. Uh, um, yeah. I, I can almost hear the text going off in the background now. Yeah. Oh, I know. SP Futures. SP Futures up 10, the SP up 42. Be right back. Professor Russell Rhodes. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, Give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-349. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Right here, right now. Right now. Right now. I don't think there's a hell of a lot I can do. We're at the mercy of the computer. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures now only up 7. As they Futures 38 as we're trying to take a bite out of this horrible day yesterday. Uh, so far, it's a very little bite. Do we have the professor? We do indeed. 
Does the professor know we were just talking about him? <laughs> uh, I didn't hear that part. I, I tuned in just a few minutes late, I guess. We were talking about your terrific guest last week and how... Oh, she's awesome. Kim Sexton, yeah. And, uh, so. well, we were, uh, were saying that in this, as, I, as you know, I try and do research everywhere, and a lot of the businesses we're talking about, like I was talking about my nephew's place where he works with a uh, essentially a metal metal fabricating supply stuff for people, uh, parts and conveyors and you name it, they'll they'll make it for people. Uh, that how that there was these businesses, nobody knows if you're going to be here 20 years from now, and it makes a real lot of sense to do what Indiana seems to be doing more than Illinois. Although Illinois is probably doing some of it. Uh, is breaking up some of the uh, education, so we say, into smaller pieces to where I'm trying to encourage my nephew to go. Maybe Moraine Valley has it. I'm not sure, but maybe he certainly probably go to one of Kevin's places in Hammond or something uh, or do it online where he can actually, since he's now going out and learning how to price jobs and so forth, that if that certificate, if it's a 40-hour you know, certificate or 100 it's a lot easier for him to do that than to go to school for four years at night to become a manufacturing engineer because you don't know where you're going to be three years from now. And I, I think it really makes a whole lot of sense to be incremental on some of this stuff so it keeps you a little more flexi a little more flexibility. And Indiana seems to have picked up on this pretty damn quick, or, not made, or certainly has. I love the idea of, of a hospital certificate without you know, sentencing yourself to 18 or 20 classes because that's a, that's a long slog for somebody who's working. Yeah, and and like you said, it's um, you're you don't really know what the world's going to be like in two or three years, but you have a pretty good idea what it's going to be like in a year. And if you can do something that improves your skills that you can utilize uh, and implement twelve months down the road or even sooner, because we have people that are in the the graduate certificate medical management program that will propose something in one of the classes, and then they actually use that for their work as well. Well, she, she made it sound that the... Uh, you want to you hear a great... I have, a, I have an awesome example of, of a student that, that got something that she really wanted at her work. She was a floor nurse, and she worked the overnight shift. Or she is a floor nurse. She works the overnight shift. And um, if they have to get a prescription filled... It's all because of everything shut down in the hospital. It's almost a mile and a quarter round trip walk. Wow! And and that happens a couple. And then they have to wait too. So that happens a couple of times a, a, a shift, which takes one of the nurses off the floor. Uh, and she figured out how much the cost of a nurse per hour was, and how much time was being wasted with that, and got the present value of that number and said. You know, if you guys would re-up this pneumatic tube system that doesn't cost an awful lot to run, that would save, you know, like 50 bucks a day or something like that when all was said and done. So she, she had a problem, and, you know, she could, she could say, you know, my life would be a lot easier if we just, you know, re up this thing and, and, you know, and went back to using it and paid the maintenance costs on it and everything. Um, and, and they're like, yeah, okay. But then when she says, "This will make my life easier," and it actually can, it, it actually pays for itself and then some a little bit, uh, and then she got it. So it was already there; it was just shut down. Well, it, it yeah, it was. I mean, the the structure was in place for it. The turning it back on, et cetera, required some some investment. Oh yeah, yeah. You can't just if it's been down yeah. for a while. You know, what are you, 
mean, yeah. if you, I mean, if you're on the couch for a while, it takes some investment to get you back moving. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. So, so but no, it's, it's stuff like that. It's like where she was actually able to, you know, financially justify what she was asking for. Well, Kim was and talking the, about... Uh, the other part of it that's really cool is, is a couple of students in my class every quarter will look around and have an idea of how they think things could be a little bit better, and then when they run the numbers, they see they're not right. But being able to run the numbers is important. So does everybody come out of there knowing how to use uh, return on investment and net present value and all that stuff that I used to know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So people still use it. That's cool. Hey, uh, yeah. I was. She did mention, I think, uh, I'm trying to recall the whole interview, but I was very interested. She said the, the fifth class is somewhat of a prob- problem-solving class where people are, oh, yeah. are, 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 are supposed to be bringing a problem from their place, and if it's a good one, then they all work on it, right? Right, and when, when they've reached that point for that fifth class, they've already, they're in the process of taking their last class like I teach, and so they've gone through you know, management and finance and everything else that they need to know, and yeah, they, they put together a, um, you know, a full project, and I think they do it as a group project based on who's, um, you know, ba- based on who's graduating in that quarter. What's uh, it, I always found it, I mean, I, I, had a, I had a big advantage, I think, at the University of Chicago, because at, uh, at Notre Dame, they were, they were, how can I say this politically correctly, they weren't like, they weren't like Illinois, uh, in the sense that if you go in there and if you, a sociology degree and you want to take a, uh, a, a an accounting class, I mean, they basically, you know, slap you upside the head and send you the other direction. I, I believe you can't do that. But it, in Notre Dame, you can take classes anywhere you want it. So even though I was in the arts and letters economics major, I took a full year of accounting. I took taxes. I took uh, finance. I took all kinds of courses in the business school without any issue whatsoever. So when you get to grad school, like the University of Chicago, and they try and teach accounting in like one one quarter, uh, let's just say I had a huge advantage because I actually had a workbook and knew the debits were on one side, the credits on the other, and uh, there's, there's no way to learn accounting other than actually having a workbook and go through problems for a year. And then you get a, you get a yeah. sense of it that, that nobody else ever really gets. I mean, no matter how much you learn afterward, even the theory. So it was a real advantage. Now, when you go into these classes, what do you do if you've got 25 people and, and 10 of them already had you know, all these accounting classes and finance classes and 10 have no idea what a present value is? How do you, how do you even, do you just let the first people be bored for a couple of classes or what do you do? You, you must have to, huh? No, I do. I get the, the, the opposite way where um, I, I post a bunch of um, elementary videos on what you really need to know in Excel before we get started in the first class. And that way everybody hopefully shows up on the, you know, on the same level. Okay, and so... Typ- I think typically I've got a couple of people every time I teach this class that, that I'm really walking them through practically how to open Excel yeah, to that point. Yeah. And then there are people that use it every day in their job. But... They don't use it in the way that I use it, so by the time I'm teaching it in front of the class, I'm, I'm showing how to use you know all the financial functions and and a bunch of other you know things that they'll need to know to at least get through my class. What are you using? Excel. Excel. Microsoft Excel. Yeah. Um, I use Excel, but I I still have to add this stuff up with a calculator. I don't know how to add it up on the machine? 
Well, if you took my class, you could use Excel like a calculator. Um, so you it's kind of funny. When I'm working, I actually use Excel like a calculator. Now, do you make these guys use uh, net present value tables, or do you actually can they use a, a Texas instrument? No, there's a function in Excel that does it for you automatically. I know, but how do you learn that way without having to go through the tables? Uh, you learn because I help you build the net present value thing to get net present value, and then you change the numbers around to see how it goes up and down and what the influence of time has, and, and remember, that's what remember, we do. Remember when you used to have the ROI tables? You had to interpolate between the two. Oh, I know. I'm still, I, I, one of the textbooks I teach out of still tries to make people use the, those tables. I think you learn, you learn, well, you learn a little bit. Remember the... The, uh, I know, no, I know what you're saying yeah. because you kind of, you look at the table and you see how the numbers move up and down based on the different factors. Right. To make up for that, I have everybody build a spreadsheet that that you know that they can use for net present value going forward, like during quizzes and yeah. tests and stuff. And uh, we'll play we'll all play around with the numbers together to see how they go up and down. Well, so, yeah, because you make up for not having to thumb through the table. Yeah, you need you need a sense of how. Uh, what are these sort of sensitivity analysis? You need a sense of that. No, I know. Yeah, I know. And no, we do that actually. There's a <laughs> there's a there's a function in um, Excel where you can where, where it's called Solver where I allow where where we're able to do those sorts of things as well. Well, I'm, to the listeners, I'm not, I'm not just trying to be grumpy to poor Russell. What I'm saying is, if if you do a net present value of something and it comes out to a number, or if you do a return on investment and say it comes out to be ten percent. It's 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 a nice number, but if you go make any kind of a presentation or or put something together, and somebody says, "Well, what if we use the number of twelve? You can't be clueless. You got to have some kind of an idea of what you're talking about, like per per point, right? So you have some have some yeah. sense of the some sense of the whole. Is that, is, that, is that a way to put it? And I think obviously it sounds like you're doing that. Uh, plus, those books are heavy. Yeah. Um, remember the uh, oh yeah. Remember the. Remember the original, the original Star Trek, the episode where the, the lawyer was defending Kirk and where he thought he killed this guy, and Spock walks yeah. into his office or his, his room and he's got all these books and he goes, "What are those things?" And he goes, "They're law books." He goes, "Everything in the law book is on a computer." The guy goes, "It's just not the same." <laughs> these are books. There's a sense to them. There's no sense to the computer. Yeah. So I don't know about that necessarily, but so what? Uh, right now, what, what is what is the current? Uh, our buddy Hal is, is loaded up, and in fact, he's looking. He's trying to get a couple of us to do an ad, an ad hoc thing, and I might have a couple of guys from the SIBO that might want to do it with me. We'll do like a, a class or every, you know, uh, Roy Briggs. He knows you. Yep. He, yeah. He, he's thinking yeah. about. It. He's he, he goes. I'd love to do every other class if you want to do it. Um, so, what is, what is your current load look like? Sounds like you're you're doing all. I mean, you're in different spots. What do you? Uh, what is this quarter? Are you guys semester? What am I doing right now? I'm teaching uh, undergrad. Uh, corporate finance. I'm teaching um, uh, study abroad, or I'm teaching a, a, a specialty finance class, and, and this will make your head explode on, on the Brexit. Wow! <laughs> and taking the and taking the students to London for a week. And um, wait a minute, can I, I teach you oh, graduate level corporate finance? Class. How do I get to be a sneaky student for that week? Uh, you got to come over to London with them. Wow, that's a that's a thought. You could, you could you could broadcast from London. You know? Matt, could you handle me from London? All the way from London. Now, would you want to come with so you could be the producer from London? Yeah, why I not? was going to say he has to be there. 
Can you bring the whole, your whole, all your equipment with you in a all suitcase? All the equipment uh, in a suitcase. I think we'd have to uh, go for. Uh, I don't think that'll fit in carry-on. No, I'm not exactly. Uh, I don't think it'll be carry-on. Uh, no, throw out the cost for that. We'd have to have uh, Andrew here on the board. You uh, doing the stuff from over there? It'd be kind of cool. Tell you what, if he gets a little briefcase, I get a little briefcase, and we all pack it up. You know, just one bit at a time. I think we can get us on the plane for cheap. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I, actually, boy, how many how many guys are going? Or how many people are going? Oh, am I, not, I, I, I thought you guys were no. talking about the three you were taking over. Um, I've got 22 students, and I've got another grown-up going along with me. You got 11 girls and 11 guys, or you got like five girls and 17 You know guys? what? Actually, yes, we do have 11 girls and 11 guys. Wow. No, and the not. reason I know that is one of each gender is getting their own single room. Ah, so you have 22 rooms or whatever? No, we have uh, you know, a, a few of them are splitting rooms. So, I have my own room. Well, I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the other the the person from the administrator that's going with me has her own room, and then one boy and one girl get their own rooms, and then everybody else has to team up with someone. So essentially, this is Noah's Ark. Yeah. Going out here. Yeah. 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 How many? We, we have, we're kind of, you know what? It's kind of like Prince Harry. We have a spare boy and a spare girl that we're putting in a room by themselves. Well, I just I just be an old fart, basically. Yeah. How many uh, for a week trip? How many cardigans go with? Uh, you know what? I'm gonna I I actually have to dress like a grown up. That's what I mean. Yeah. No, I don't. I, I will not be wearing cardigans over there. I'll be dressed like business attire, man. I uh, 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 several of the people we're seeing are my consulting clients over in London, so. I, I, I let's just say I've got the fear of God in the students and their behavior when we go to the meeting. Would you be open to a uh, a couple of uh, shall we say side trips? Uh, we've already got them. There's an organization that's doing that for us. Uh, we're going to we're going to Westminster. We're going to we actually got into Buckingham Palace. They just reopened it. Wow! Wow! And we're going to. A to a football match, and I forgot what the other fun thing we were doing. Oh, like the London Eye or something like that, and a play. Mm. But then we're going to see Standard and Poor's, and we're going to go see Moody's and Bank of England and the SIBO Europe folks. Wow! And I got to get uh, got to get one more professional visit in there. Well, I, I was uh, see, I would be Lou uh, got a special trip into the one of the bunkers where they they did the. Uh, Air War. In oh, Lawrence. cool! Like, like from the movies where yeah. they're and uh, you know. and our, our buddy Robert, well, you know Robert from the Federal Reserve. He's he's mm-hmm. buddies with the the dude who I think is the grandson of the guy who uh, he could get us a special tour. Of us, you a special tour of Bletchley Park if you wanted to get out there. And How far to, out is that? You know, I think it's well. It's, those trains go pretty fast. I'm going to say 50 miles, maybe. But it's you get there pretty quick. But it, it, that would be, I, that would be my number one place to go. I I, I would be for those that don't know, uh, Bletchley Park is a place where uh, was the guy named Bletchley it was his estate. He let the uh, was it OSS? No, it was uh, what was the uh, M, what was, no MI? Well, what was uh, oh MI five's domestic yeah, MI six is international. Yeah, and he he that that's where they had actually was the first working computer, wasn't it? Uh, where they where they tried to they tried ah. to. Uh, yeah, uh, I think so. It's where they did all the code breaking, and and since it just looked like an estate, the the Germans never knew what was going on there, and they never bombed it. 
Evidently, it's a gorgeous place. And they still have all the old buildings where all the old computers and stuff were and everything. That would be, just be fascinating for me. Mm. And, and Robert says he could get us a, a double secret, you know, where the guy might actually do it himself, the, the curator. Anyway, what week is this? I'm thinking about this. Um, we're going St. Patrick's Day week, March 13th through 17th. Oh, wait a minute. Can you celebrate St. Patrick's Day in London? No. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> they, about yeah. that. they go, oh, will it be cool? Like, and I said, no. <laughs> it's not. It's, and then I talked to some of the people that I work with over in London, and they're like, no, it's not a thing here. Like well, you know, in, I, in Chicago. I have a very brief story about that. There I was in uh, northern mm-hmm. Indiana, minding my own business as usual, right? In this uh, really good place. It's got great ribs, and uh, what the hell's the name of this? It's in, uh, it's in some little town in northern Indiana. So I'm in there, and of course I'm BSing with this guy at the bar, and I can tell he's Southside Irish instantly. Turns out he's the guy who dyes the river green. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and well, his his dad did it, now he does it. He comes from a Southside family, of course. There's like 11 kids, and like 10 of them are policemen or firemen, and then there's him (laughs) who dyes the river. Well, evidently, they asked him to come over to Dublin and, and do the river there, right? So uh-huh. he's got his little boat, and they give him a little boat, or let him use it. He's got all his stuff. He shipped it over there. And there's all these people on the bridge and everything. Well, evidently, the stuff that you use to dye the river green is orange. And, and you can yeah, I've, I've, seen, I've seen them where they do it, and when it first yeah. comes out, it, it's, it's, it is. It's more it's, like a yellowish orange. It's, well, it's, it's bright orange, the powder. Of course, it's a, yeah. it's a secret recipe that you know he's not going to tell anybody, which is fine. So the people on the bridge... See that the stuff is orange, and they think that he's a plant from Northern Ireland. He's actually going to, he's actually going to uh, dye the river orange. So they start winging bottles at him. Ah, off that's the awesome. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's like dodging the bottles. They put the stuff in, and all of a sudden they see it turns green, and everybody starts cheering him instead of winging bottles at him. He goes, that is fantastic. He goes, all of a sudden, I'm like, what do they do? Why are they? They look at the stuff, and it's orange. I, oops. <laughs> Anywho, uh, this sounds like a, a spectacular trip. Uh, it really does. My, uh, my my deceased father was always fascinated by that river. So I would, I honest to God, wish he was alive today so I could tell him because he would love that story. Oh yeah, I mean, he uh, would absolutely just he would love, he would just and the fact that you know he heard something inside that's kind of inside baseball like that directly from the he would love that. So, hey, I have a question. That's really cool. Uh, Kevin was bringing up the uh, China situation, and you obviously, since you've been all over the world more than anybody except for maybe Lou. Of course, he was flying over people in places in a jet that doesn't give him the same kind of knowledge. But uh, mm-hmm. the situation with China—I mean, they we're you know we're kind of up in the up in the game here, and now Putin's going over to CZ and all this kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it doesn't look spectacular. But the solution for a lot of people—I mean, Kevin even mentioned it—was we're instead of buying stuff from uh, China, we're going to buy more from Vietnam or Thailand. Well, if if and, and I am in total agreement with that. Okay, but my, I guess my and question I'll is... Tell you, and I'm going to say, a quarter of my portfolio is the paired position, long Vietnam, short China. Uh, okay. Uh, my, so, my so question, I, when you say that I've traveled right now, I'm paying very close attention to what's going on in China. Yeah, I mean, and you're our, you're our source. Yeah. But my, I guess my question is, in this world of, if, you know, as Mike Rico Mike said about war... Uh, they got it. We want it. Let's take it. I mean, that's his. Uh, you know, that's about as more of a definition of war you can get anywhere. You could say religion, you can say everything else, but I think it's all BS. It's all they got something. We want it. Let's go get it. Uh, how much of that 
economic dislocation from China to Vietnam, where Vietnam gleefully takes all these companies and stuff from China, is that a risk, politically, militarily? For China? No. Oh. For Vietnam. That people move over to Vietnam? I'm saying... China's oh, do you think China? Do you think China's going to get angry and try to invade them? Well, I mean again. Again, well, they're, but they're, they lost the last time they tried. They lost to Vietnam. A lot of people don't because it didn't directly impact us. I, I after we left Vietnam, China tried to invade them, and they couldn't even invade t- Vietnam. You think they're going to be able to take over Taiwan? There's water between the two in that case. Well, okay, but I'm, what I'm saying is you've got North Vietnam, who's still their buddy. If they, I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not my my question is economically, they could pull some crap that would cause Vietnam, even if they don't, you know, conquer them in the traditional sense of the word, they could screw them up. Yeah. Yeah, and they'd screw themselves up as well. Well, right? I guess, but well, I mean, I don't. Well, you yeah. think, you think Russia? I mean, Russia is screwing themselves to the wall. It doesn't look like they care. You know, I don't. I don't think it makes sense. I, I haven't thought about, like, the, the potential military blowback. I just, because I, I don't, I don't think, honestly, I don't think China has the capability of, of winning a land war with Vietnam. If you pull up a map and look at the border, <laughs> where would your front line be? Oh, I, I get it. I mean, I'm... I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm I know. So I, I, but, but also, from a military standpoint, um, other than knocking out the competition, I don't think it would gain a whole lot. It would just be kind of redundant what you get out of Vietnam as far as the capabilities of manufacturing and stuff. That's not what China wants. China wants to go up a step, and that's why they're so fixated on Taiwan. Well, they, they want the they, they want the Taiwan industry. They want to well, sure basically they steal it, copy it, take it back to the mainland. Well, sure they do. I. I guess what I'm but, saying is we're, so. So I, I don't. But so I don't think. The, I don't think that there's a military risk if companies are shifting over to Vietnam from China. Well, I, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accuse you the same thing Lou does to me. Nothing you've said I don't agree with. Okay, but now you're using your MBA, PhD, economic mind. The same thing I told Lou. Why do they want to invade Ukraine? All they got to do is trade with them. And and, they, and it, it's way better for everybody. And he goes, Chief, don't ever use your mentality and, and press it into somebody like Putin. He doesn't have your mentality and doesn't care about you. You're, you're using Russell's oh. mentality. I'm saying, is there a level at which they want to, I use the term, F up Vietnam enough to where don't compete with us so much, you idiots? I just don't think they would go that route. I, I'm with I you. I really don't. I, hope I, I mean, I, I don't think it would be a direct... I mean, they may try to do things to, you know, sabotage them. Well, a blockade, but, uh, would, a blockade would work. Yeah. Like, I mean, they... Well, they... they In order to try and blockade them, they would have to... Um, they would be in international waters, so they wouldn't be able to pull that one off, although they keep claiming more and more of the South China Sea for themselves. Yeah, you know... What I'm saying is, is, is right now, whatever these guys are liable to try and do, I'm, I mean, I, I would not have imagined if I was alive in 1930, whatever it was, that Hitler would have the stones to grab Czechoslovakia, but he did. Or, and, yeah. and, and, you know, I'm saying I, it's not, it's, 
it's it's for, if you and I and our listeners were to take their mentality, we wouldn't be killing people in in Ukraine since more of our people are getting killed than their people. Even if we didn't care about how many people died, but then but he's all for it, right? He's want wants to do more. I'm saying once you start thinking that way, and, and you're trying to make investments for people, I mean, what what what? I mean, that's essentially what I'm paid to do, and you're and you're mm-hmm. and you're. You're helping me, right? I mean, what what could possibly screw up that one of my that one of my investors, or not investors, they don't invest in me, but one of one of my customers or clients doesn't think about that I'm supposed to think about, you know? And mm-hmm. I mean, where could this go wrong? I mean, everybody everybody's gleeful that the China's. I mean, all of a sudden, everybody's buying everything from Vietnam or Thailand. I get it. I, w- I was going to pick something up the other day. I was in the Sam's Club. I saw it was from uh, China, and I put it down. I mean, I, I get it, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm, but I'm saying at some level, what does that do? They're not, they're not above taking stuff from other people. What are they going to do about that? Yeah. And, and the answer, I hope, your answer is they're not going to go down that road. And I sure as hell hope you're right. I don't think they're going to end. And you know, and now you have me second guessing everything I think because you're because because of what you said about uh, not understanding their mentality. Yeah, but I don't. You know, I don't, I don't um, think. I, I, you know, I don't know what. I don't know how what she or Putin's view of the world is. I don't know what Putin's view of the world is. He's got, you know, he's got short man's disease, and he's in a failing country, and he runs a failing country. But you know, I, I, I almost feel like that's what it's coming down to at this this point. Well, but some people just. You know, I also, I also think that I, you know, I, I'll, I can get ripped up on this one, but. Yeah, would you would you do anything when? And I'm not saying that I want him back in the White House, but you never knew what Trump's reaction to stuff was going to be. You know, and and I, I don't think there's. I think I think Biden's being tested and he's failing. Um, We're failing. I would say. Although he seems to, he seems to be stepping it up in the last couple of days. Finally, I would say. Well, according to Lou, who is you know mm-hmm. Mr. Right Wing, he said. Uh, in his opinion, our response to Ukraine has been absolutely perfect. It's been measured. Well, I think so too. I, I actually, I, I wish we would do a little bit more. Well, we are sort I of. Mean, I wish. We, I wish we would. Well, you know what's uh, what's uh, really been nice is yeah. uh, in, in the in the original part, and actually Lou, very seldom is wrong, actually tweeted out to all our listeners when he. We had a discussion maybe two months ago where he said well, he doesn't like the idea that we're carrying the ball. Then he, he sent me a tweet the next day and he sent it out to we sent it out that he's wrong. That the, the Germans have really stepped up. All of a sudden the Germans have oh yeah. yeah. All of a sudden now Europe is actually providing. I'm going to say 60, 65 percent of the aid to Ukraine. We, we were doing 70 percent or something for a while. Now I think they're they're doing. I know they're doing more than us. Whether it's 60 to 65 percent, I'm not sure, but. It's well over fifty mm-hmm. percent. But uh, anyway, SP futures up six, Nasdaq futures up third. We can be back. You, you're gonna give us your assessment of yesterday. And most amazing thing, yesterday was uh, during the show, Russell. I don't know if you were watching uh, or listening. Walmart came out with their earnings, and the mm-hmm. CEO came out and said, "You know, the consumer is basically getting getting pasted here," which you know you and I have talked about for three years now. Uh, Walmart was down six bucks, and as the the market totally cratered on the guy's words, no, it wasn't just that. Uh, Walmart actually finished up on the day. 
how, how weird was that? They came back to six bucks just because one guy finally spoke the truth. I don't know. SP Futures down seven. As if I'm sorry, up seven. As if Futures up thirty six. Uh, we're making a little bit of a bite out of yesterday, but not much so far. Be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Lower stocks and jocks. I'm Tom Howe. Matt Byrne on the board. SP futures up seven and a quarter. Make that six fifty. Uh, flip around here. Nasdaq futures up thirty six. Dow futures up sixty four. Individual stacks in the Dow. We've got United Health's carrying a load here. It's up 450, up to 495. It's healthcare, obviously. Uh, everything else is uh, pretty muted. Um, over in Europe, we've got the DAX down 15 now only. It's 0.1%. FTSE down 62.8. Kakaran down 15.2. Uh, over in Asia, we've got Nikkei down 368. That's 1.3%. We've got Hang Seng down 105. So well, Hang Seng's going from 14.5 to like 23.5, back down to 24, which is a, a wild ride. Shanghai down 15.5%. Uh, oh, this is a review of yesterday's horrendous day. Dow was down 697, S&P down 81, NASDAQ down 295, all of them over 2%, which is really rare. I mean, it's been a long time since that's happened. Uh, Ten-year uh, unchanged at 3.95 as it's pushing towards 4 as uh, Bullard said, we got to go over 5% on the Fed to do anything about inflation. Uh, I think that ship is long gone, but that's just me. Uh, Bund uh, down a penny, 3.52. Japan unchanged at 0.505. And we're going to get Russell to come in on just how that is working with the Bank of Japan. Three things we got Russell to deal with now. Well, down 43 cents, 75.93. Brent down 50 cents, 82.55. And here's a good one. Natural gas down to 205, looking to go under 2 bucks. These people are paying outrageous bills based on God knows what. Uh, gold up 360, making a little bit of a bounce here. 1846, silver down 3 cents, 2186. 
Copper down three cents, four nineteen. Bitcoin down on four thirty-two. That's almost two percent, but still over twenty-four thousand. Twenty-four thousand zero five nine. We got the U.S. dollar virtually unchanged, with the pound at uh, one point two one and the euro at one point zero six. Matt, what do you got for us, Traffic Willard Sports? Yeah, good morning. Uh, 7.37 a.m. on February 22nd, 2023. Weather in Chicago, currently cloudy skies. Right now, 34 degrees. A mix of rain and snow will start around 8 a.m. this morning and will continue throughout the day, with winds up to 18 miles per hour. Tomorrow, cloudy skies, which will continue until Friday, and sunny skies this weekend. Right now in Phoenix, a rainy morning, 56 degrees currently, a high of 58 and a low of 41. Yesterday in the NHL, Blackhawks won against Golden Knights 3-2. And the Blackhawks are back again tonight to take on Dallas Stars. Game starts at 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. And last night in college basketball, Michigan State beat out Indiana 82-65. So all for now, Chief, back to you. And Marquette beat Creighton by a point out in Creighton. And Creighton has been incredibly hard to beat at home. They're like 3-0 this year and teams in the top 25 and something they've Mm. DePaul's like the first team that's beat them out there. They beat, beat them by a point. Not DePaul, by Marquette. Mm. Um, so, anyway, interesting on that. Hey, yeah. uh, I got a list of stuff here for you, uh, uh, Russell. I hope you're right, oh, Professor. Hey, uh, Intel slashes dividend by 65% down to 12.5 cents. And I'm looking here that uh, Intel had an op- ongoing authorization approved by the board in 2005 and subsequently amended. Three purchase shares of our common stock and open market or negotiated tra- transactions as of December 31st, 2022. They are authorized to repurchase up to $110 billion, of which they have done about 103 So now they've, they've bought stock back probably higher than it is now to the tune of $103 billion. Now they're cutting their dividend. If you're a shareholder, do you want them all the hell out of there or not? I do. Well, you mean what do? Do I want management out of there? Management, board, maybe the board first, management. What is with these guys? Well, part of the deal with the semiconductor industry is it, it, it doesn't take much of an economic slowdown or a supply chain issue to screw up their industry. And it's, it's kind of like the auto industry was, you know, it still, still is, but they're just not, they're, we don't pay as much attention to them as we used to, where, you know, Ford stock would triple when we're getting an economic expansion, and then it would give up 70%, or maybe even get close to bankruptcy, and then come back out of it with the economic bubble. And the semiconductor industry is exactly the same way, where when you get, you know, it, 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 there's, there's not a lot of room for error as far as economic demand, or as far as, yeah, uh, demand goes, but then they've also had different supply issues around the world that that have caught up with them and probably they haven't been able to fix as quickly as they'd like to. But I don't think it's necessarily a case of I want to kick all the management out uh, of more of how much of this is just the the normal economic environment for semiconductors. Even though it's become normal for people to spend $103 billion to drive a stock price up so people can cash in their stock options on the inside. As an investor, mm-hmm. I, I want the hundred and three billion. I want, I want it in dividends. I don't want you idiots goosing your stock options and then and you cashing out when I'm when, when my stock is appreciably less than it was in two thousand. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, don't you? Are, are you talking about them buying back shares or yeah. just giving management shares? Well, they do. 
they keep giving people, uh, they, I, I'm assuming they give people stock options at a certain price, and the reason why you buy the stock back instead of issuing a dividend is to get the stock over that price, right? Because if you keep giving dividends, the stock goes down, not up. Yeah, but also one of the reasons that you do a buyback instead of uh, paying dividends is because uh, there are certain investors that would rather you do a buyback Ooh. and help boost the stock price up as opposed to getting a dividend. Uh, who? Because when you get the dividend, you have to pay a tax on it. When oh, okay. the stock price goes up, you don't pay the taxes on it until you sell it. I'm going to say that they spent, out of the $103 billion, <clears throat> $100, $100 Two nine nine was was bought at over the current market price. Well, yeah, especially for Intel. Yeah. <laughs> so how, so it sounds like a, sounds like if I did that for a client, they'd be dumping me. I understand that. I totally get that. But um, you know, just saying. I, I don't see. I would rather if I and, and this is an industry that I that I always when when I'm. Certain we're getting economic growth. I'd pile into the semiconductor fund, um, and you know, this is a case where I, w- I would love to see that. It looks like they're, I'm trying to read the thing because I haven't read it, and it looks like they're just trying to you know make sure they've got enough cash so they don't have to go out and raise cash if things get any worse. Well, let's put it this way: and if they yeah, it- and and just reading through this. I'm I'm wondering a bit if this is is the kind of thing that I'm worried about for a lot of companies, where we've been told so many freaking times that we're getting into a recession, that companies are going to start to get very conservative because they're worried about the recession and that's going to cause it and maybe even make it worse. Well, let's put it this way: if I'm a shareholder and they cut my dividend and they buy back one share this year, I'm going to Menards and see if I can buy a pitchfork. Just saying. <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, hey, uh, it's over, it's in there, it, it says here that they're conserving cash. I didn't. Yeah. Oh well. Well, there's 103 billion. We know went someplace. I, I never could figure out why giving money to people who don't want to be shareholders anymore helps current shareholders. <laughs> you know, because the, the guy you're buying it from wants well, out with that price, right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, I have a, uh, this is a tough question um, for you, and it, it, well, not for you, for everybody. I don't know if you caught this article this morning by, uh, actually it was yesterday, Catherine Clifford. I think we've gone through some of her stuff before, and she actually writes some pretty serious crap. Uh, as we as we go through our electrification routine, and we've got all the people on the left saying everything should be electric and nobody gets a gas car anymore, it says here, the article is, why it's so hard to build new electrical transmission lines in the U.S. and to main t- to get anywhere near where we want to be in 10 or 15 or 20 years uh, for uh, renewable energy, for people able to use electrics, more electric, less gas-fired, coal-fired power plants, and so forth. We need to probably increase or replace our electrical transmission grid by 2.3% a year, and we're pushing maybe maybe making 1%. So we're way behind. Mm-hmm. We're nowhere near in the California you know, nobody has a gas car in 10-year kind of crap they're pulling out there. We're not even close to that. And she goes in here, and she's talking about how it's a... It, boy, she sounds like me here. Building transmission lines in the U.S. is like herding cats. I thought that was my line. I always thought that about <laughs> traders. Talking, getting traders to agree was like herding cats. 
All of the stakeholders in the construction of a new line, utility companies, regulators, landowners, have to come to an agreement, and they may have competing interests. Uh, I think they may more than may. Ultimately, electric companies pay for new transmission lines via surcharge the electric bill. The amount bill can be accrued by regulators, blah, blah, blah. I, I can't imagine this being put together in a timely manner. Can you? Plus, the new lines are so much more, uh, you, you lose, there's, a new techno- there's newer technologies where you lose an awful lot less over distance than the old ones, correct? Yeah. They, they, they retransmit better than they used to. They used to, used to lose, uh, that's why when, when people, you know, I'm, I'm using what the guys at Pullman used to tell me, so 30-year-old uh, conversations. Don't you lose, I mean, when somebody says, I'm using getting an electric car, it's much more efficient. I would always ask the question, well, where's the electricity coming from? And they'd look at me like I got four heads. I said, well, if it's coming from, you know, a windmill in North Dakota, <laughs> you know, or, or a gas-fired power plant in Iowa, uh, I'm going to say you're way better off just firing a thing up with your gasoline, right? I mean, that's been the, mm-hmm. that's been the story with gas heat forever, that a gas furnace is like 90% efficient. And if you, if you have to move the electric over like even five or six miles, you degrade what, 10, 20% or something? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot, a, yeah. de- depending on where you are, the, the transmission lines are a way bigger part of this picture than most people think. And I just wonder, are you, have you ever involved in one of these kind of negotiations? Because, I mean, you do, I know you do a lot of work for people. And it would seem like it would be a very daunting task to actually to get one of these lines approved or an upgrade approved. Oh, can you, I mean, Beyond that, um, nobody wants to live near them. So if you're trying to uh, build a new one, that's not going to work. Nobody's ever going to let you know. Nobody's ever going to let you uh, build, put a big buzzing. I I actually, and there's all kinds of jokes in here. Um, our house uh, backed up to the giant towers that the Tennessee Valley Authority were, was using to. Uh, send energy all over you know, the southeast. I stepped in my backyard, and it, there was always a, uh, a sizzling sound in the air. Oh yeah, yeah. And so and I, I, so I, you know, and I'm, I'm probably, but I'll probably have some sort of terrible ailment that pops up in about two years uh, from having grown up under that. <laughs> you know, I actually. Uh... Yeah, so, so I mean, I know what, it, and you know, I, I know what these things look like. I and and I and they're. I mean, they're substantial. Well, the ones out in Orland, yeah, wherever the biggest, is, biggest thing that I would look at when I was growing up were these god awful towers. Well, the ones out in Orland have bike as bike paths underneath all of them. But you know, yeah, I, do. I actually read something uh, it was a long time ago, and of course I can't pull it out and document it, where there was some kind of study regarding people living close to those things, and mm-hmm. and uh, people's fears are, are way overblown. That, well, they are. It was it was complete it was complete BS that you know they increased chances of cancer and other things like that. I, I, I know we went through a period of time, and in fact, you remember the Eddie Murphy movie where he, he becomes a congressman? The whole controversial part of that movie was um, the power lines in his district are causing cancer and stuff, and you know, a little kid is, you know, a little kid is having to have chemo because of the power line. And you know, is he going to give in to big business or, or be the good guy? Well, actually, uh, this, this I don't think people believe the the power line thing is bad for you anymore. Well, the 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 article I read, and I don't know who held it to study. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's, you know you can write whatever you want, but it had to do with uh, if you have an alarm clock, you know, with a 
a bright alarm clock next to your bed, you're getting more from the alarm clock than you are from the than the wires. But you know, it was by far the worst thing. If you're concerned about electrical, what do you want to call it? Uh, charge around you. Electric, yeah. An electric blanket just buries you. <laughs> it's it's like a hundred yeah. times worse than the power light. It's not even close. An electric blanket. I mean, I didn't even know that. And, and I probably got more from electric blanket growing up than I did from the. Well, it's because you people in Tennessee don't have any heat. In a right? log in a log cabin, there's no heat. <laughs> just saying. That's why we had the electric. That's why we had electric blanket. Yeah, well, it was nice when you got the electricity finally in those places. Hey, <laughs> uh, I know. Next, <laughs> n- next question. Um, we're t- I was talking to uh, you know Kevin earlier, and, and, and it comes, kind of follows through from what the guy said at Walmart. The economy right now. I mean, I every place I go, Russell, virtually every place. If I do the math, it's exactly where you would expect what the Fed has done in the last several years. I mean, today they're, they're hemming and hawing about board saying going to five percent, and everybody's all pissed off, right? So. Well, the the idea, I think the monetary knowledge in this country is needs a little work, but the, the entire way the Fed was 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 raising rates, I'm going to say the a neutral rate is somewhere between probably two seven five and three seventy five, which would be, I would call that the risk return rate. That's the actual rate for giving somebody money for a year, what you would expect back, which has been pretty much uh, stable through like thousands of years until recently. Well, 5% is is mildly restrictive. And, and most of the way through, even though they were raising rates, one one seven five two and a half. those are expansionary. So they basically have just started in the last few months to pull some back a little bit. But I'm going to say, Russell, mm-hmm. if you put a number, I'm not saying you should do this, but put a number in your head of about 30, 30 to 33%. And as you walk around, Looking at stuff that what what it used to cost in March of 2020, right? Versus today, I'm going to say virtually everything is 30 to 33 percent higher, which is exactly the number of the money supply up since then. Which is what, if you were a disciple of Milton Friedman, which is exactly what you'd expect. I mean, I go to places where a glass of wine was seven bucks; it's now ten. That's mm-hmm. 33 percent something, right? A little bit more than that, actually. Virtually everything. I mean, I'm, some food, no. I mean, I. I don't want to be a pork producer right now because it's going. It's it's lower. I mean, those guys are paying. But I'm going to say, corn's up what, 25 percent. Uh, houses are up roughly 30 percent, right? They went from what? Yeah. I mean, automobiles, 20 something to 40 something on average, 30 some percent. It's all across the chain, I think. And I, and now the Fed is talking about walking this back very gradually. What, what you and I, I think, would probably agree with, but some part of me and Carl thinks it's just not enough. You dumped, you dumped a shovel full of cocaine on the table, and now you're trying to take it off a thimble full at a time. If you really want to do something, I do. You, do you think? And this, I'm going to ask you this: Do you think the Fed can just stop inflation? And you and I know the definition of that. It's the rate of change of prices, which I think they probably have already stopped. To be honest with you. Do you think they can just do that, or they have to attack the price level because 80% of the population can't deal with everything up 30% when they got a 10% raise? I mean, we're, I know where I am on this, and, and, but I also know the ramifications if they start attacking the price level. What, what do you think the policy ought to be? I honestly don't know the answer. 
I think they're hoping that people's salaries catch up because we have such a tight labor market. I that, that's really what that, that's really what I think. I I um, see no chance of that happening. But they're, they're hopeful that there's some trends in place that are going to get them in better, that are going to get them to a better place without having to overdo it. But even if you have, um, a, we, I don't I don't know if that, but I don't know if I agree with that those trends are going to hold up. Well, Russell, even if even if everybody right now miraculously, which don't have, I'm going to say. Maybe if you take out public employees, the ten percent of people—how many people are unionized? Fifteen percent. How many people have a cost of living in their salary? I'm going to say maybe ten percent outside of public employees. Right now, mm-hmm. you're not—you're not going to catch up from COLA if you start today. It, it's already happened. No. I mean, mathematically, you're not going to catch up at all, right? Because right now, yeah. I'm going to say there yeah. is no inflation. I don't—I don't think yeah. the car is going to go from forty to forty-one. The problem is, it's at forty. Yeah. But no, that, and that's that's what that, that's kind of what I'm thinking is that that uh, our salaries are going to cut. People's salaries through probably changing jobs uh, will hopefully catch up with some of the inflation that we've had to endure. I don't know if it's going to completely cover it because, and, and I don't think you know. And the long term trend is that uh, most people's purchasing power continues to dissipate, and and I, I don't think anything's going to happen that changes that. Uh, it changes that trend. Well, what, what do you think on strictly math? I should have asked, uh-huh. should have asked Hal this because he's our math professor. Uh, just I'm going to say when you start using percentages, you can uh, you can cause a lot of damage. I mean, clearly, if a if a stock drops from a uh, hundred to two, it's down ninety eight percent. If it goes back to four, it's up a hundred percent. But you're nowhere you're nowhere yeah. near a hundred. So when you talk about People who were making ten dollars an hour in a restaurant or something, and and say I'm right that most prices or a lot of prices are up thirty thirty three percent in three years. If all of a sudden that person's making thirteen, I'm going to say that's a pimple on the ass of an elephant. That's not even close yeah. to. I mean, there's no way the guy's going to deal with the rent going from a thousand to thirteen hundred by making three dollars more an hour. Oh, I know. I mean, no, I don't. Th- I, I don't think it's going to fully cover it, but I, it, that, that's where I think it's going to fall short. I think the Fed believes that that we've got some trends in place that there'll be some decent convergence and they may not have to raise much more, but I don't know if that necessarily plays out properly. Well, I mean, the, um, the median income, according to our, uh, uh, well, I don't have it right in front of me, I, I think the, uh, well, I, I don't believe the CPI, but the median income is up what from like thirty three thousand to thirty eight, say since two thousand. Mm-hmm. Well, if you if you look at the numbers since two thousand, where your you know your higher education's up by like three hundred percent, that kind of stuff. Hospitalization is up three hundred percent. That that number for people who have kept even that thirty three thousand. The median should be like a hundred and ten now, just to be just to be even. Yeah. I mean, we're not even. We're not even on the same page on that, are we? No. By the way, I, 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 if I told you this, I was reading some history of uh, Henry Ford the other day. When the, the Model T came out, it would cost like 500 bucks. But as soon as they got the assembly line, it actually came down to like 260 or something. And it was, it was uh, three months' pay for the median worker. 
and uh, of course you weren't getting much of a car. <laughs> you had to crank the thing with well, no radio yeah. every day or that kind of thing. But it, but it was a car. I mean, it got you it got you going. Uh, I don't know. I bet, you know, I bet you and I. How long do you think it would take you and I to to figure out how to start the damn thing? I say I say we. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet we could. Do it. I would only. I I can. Let's just hope there's not a bunch of people standing around looking at us. I, I saw that on YouTube once, and it's you know like, what I mean. It's like ten things yeah. you have to do. Mm. It's yeah. unbelievable. And I, I, I'm going to say, unless we had a YouTube in front of us, we'd have no chance. And Model A, maybe, you know, because it mm. was just the, it was the, the crank and the, and the ignition switch and that kind of thing. But uh, at Model T, uh, anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. So, name if if, a, if the average price for a car now is forty grand, how many people are making thirteen grand a month for be, to be able to pay for it in three months? I don't think hardly mm, anybody. Not a lot. No. No. Um, so what uh, when what are what are the questions people are asking you now in class when you when you go up to okay ask, ask me anything I'm the professor what do, what are they come up coming up with? They always want to ask about individual stock, you know they um they're in the, the, the you know what the most telling thing is is what I have not been asked this year when when I'm teaching the undergrads and that's crypto. Really, nobody's brought it up at all. Um, is it is it DOA dead on arrival for those kids or what? I it's just the the whatever the hype was among you know college kids it's not it's not there anymore. In fact, I I, th- I, I think the crypto club may have disbanded. Really? <laughs> yeah. What do you think of? Right? I I, now I'm looking through the uh, the the club meeting calendar and I don't see them on here now. They were, th- act- they were active in the fall for a little while. What do you think of my caddy theory that uh, one of the reasons why Gazelle dumped Tom Brady is because he lost a lot of her money in crypto? Oh, and I, I, I don't think that's it, but I think it'd be really funny if she claimed it. Oh God, I, I never yeah. even thought of that. I, I just think it'd be really funny, you know. And you know, he he refused. To, he kept going back to work when he said he wasn't going to go back to work, and. He lost a bunch of my money in this thing. Yeah. What, what is this stuff anyway? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, what, what what happens? We only have a minute. What happens with that lawsuit where he you know he was on TV and he was a? Uh, I, I I suspect by the you rule. got it. You got to assume that that you know there's always those little bitty words in the disclaimer. Yeah. You got you got to assume that he's that he was protected one way or another by being a spokesman. Well, they they nailed. It's, a, it's just a standard thing. Well, they nailed Cardassian so. because she didn't say she was a paid spokesman. But I, I have to think that in oh. a kind of commercial, there has to be a an assumption. Different. That, if you yeah. if I jump on you know what if I jump on Instagram right now, and 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 you know I've got some credibility, um, and and I say I think everybody should load up on Dick's calls right now, uh, and. Some people follow me that don't know any, you know, that don't know anything, but are relying on supposedly my knowledge level. I should be sued over that. I, I say I think you're okay because you're not registered. I can't do it. Yeah. Well, I just I, I feel like I could be I, I could be sued over that. Well, you can for, be su- you, know, you can be sued over wearing. I'm a not saying it, I don't. I'm not saying the lawsuit would be successful, but I'm saying that um, I could see somebody coming after me. Did did Kardashian? Did she? It ruled against her. Or did she just settle for like a million? I, I bucks? think she lost. Did she? Okay. I think she lost. I'm not 100 percent sure, but well, I'll, I'll find that out. But I'm on. It, you know, it, it's really funny if you look at her and her. I guess they're divorced now. Her and her ex-husband. Which one do you think would be most likely to have lost the lawsuit? 
Oh, I don't know. I, boy, I don't even know where his husband is. I, I don't pay. I mean, attention. he. I mean, he's. You know, he just bounced off crazy all the time. You think he would? If, if you had to guess, which one? That would be. Would a have, Kanye I, West I would guess him over her. Who is it, Mitt? A Kanye West. Oh, Kanye West. Okay. Yeah, Kanye, yeah. she was married to Kanye West. Sorry. Yeah. Can you be sued for a? a B. Well. Ye, whatever the hell we call him now. Yeah. Can you be sued for abusive cardigans? <laughs> uh, maybe. Anyway, uh, Russell, I, you know, I mean, Adidas has a whole ton of ye clothing that they can't do anything with. Maybe uh, that's someone to. Uh, well, I tell you what, I, I, if, if you call in from London, I'd love to have you in a room where people could listen in or something. I mean, I, boy, I'm dying to. There's no way I'd go on that trip, but I would love to, boy. That would be spectacular. Yeah. Anyway, I'll see, I'll see where I am Wednesday afternoon. Where, where, where exactly were you when I was in college? I would have loved to have done that. Uh, you know what? When I when you were in college, um, I think I was in junior high sneaking cigarettes and beer from my dad. Got <laughs> so this is on break, I assume. It is. It's during the spring. It's their spring break. Wow, it still sounds like a great trip. All right, take care of yourself, yeah. buddy. SP Futures up seven. Nancy Futures up thirty-one. Back tomorrow, stocks and jacks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. I think you just became my personal hero.